0: Hey, podcast. Today, Brian sits down with triple board certified health expert, fitness hall of famer, and four time New York Times bestselling author JJ Virgin. In this episode, you'll gain insight into the foundational building blocks that got Brian and JJ started as entrepreneurs. They also dive into how that foundation influenced them through all the trials and tribulations along the way. Enjoy. First of all, I would love for people just to hear, um, like, some of your background, uh, some of Uh, some of your experience as an entrepreneur and also like, you know, what got you into, uh, you know, fitness and nutrition and health and things of that nature. Like what, what inspired you to do that?
1: Here's what's interesting. I grew up in Northern California in Berkeley and it was a very healthy kind of health conscious place to begin with. Although my mom was from the Midwest and literally I was raised on casseroles, like those, Nasty Campbell soup casseroles with the dirty onions, and early on I started getting super into dance and gymnastics, which is ridiculous because I wanted to be a point ballerina and a gymnast. I'm six feet tall, so like wasn't going to happen. Um, and I started studying nutrition. I remember at age twelve I was like going to the library, reading everything I could find about nutrition and trying to do everything I could to become stronger and fitter. I started working out in high school with the football team in the, uh, like the men's gym area. Cause there was nothing back then. Like there were no gyms girls could go to and lift weights. Uh, but I just was really obsessed with getting super fit and super healthy. And it drove my mom crazy because every dinner we would have like dessert and she was always upset cause I wouldn't eat any of the stuff she served And I was always designing my own diets for myself. So I went off to college. I thought I was going to become an actress. I went to UCLA on a theater scholarship. And I started taking nutrition and exercise classes there. And there was a little fitness studio down in in Westwood, and this was in the 80s, called California Shape. And I started teaching classes there. And someone called up and said, oh, can you come to my house and just do a private lesson? And so they sent me over to this gal's house. And the next thing you know, I'm doing personal training. Now there were no personal trainers, right? It was me. And we found out later it was Mark Sisson and me embodied by Jake, the three of us doing this, that now we became personal trainers. And there really wasn't much you could learn in terms of nutrition unless you were becoming a dietician, which I didn't really like what I was learning there. So when I graduated from UCLA, I started in biomechanics at a grad school, and I started reading everything I could find about nutrition because I knew I didn't want to be a dietician. And uh, then went off to doctoral school in nutrition. But here's the big clincher that changed all of this. So I remember in college, at the time, you know, everyone's going to get a job and have to wear a suit and go sit in an office. And I'm thinking that sounds like the worst possible thing I could imagine. I had already was making six figures in cash in college in the 80s, which would be like, you know, $250,000 now. And I was doing it part time still going to school. And so I then moved to Florida to go to grad school at University of Miami. And one of my clients is a self made multimillionaire. And I remember walking down the beach with her and she says, so what do you? What, why are you going to grad school? And I go, oh, I want to be more successful. And she goes, huh, all right. And what are you gonna do when you graduate from grad school? I said, I'm gonna go to doctoral school. And she goes, why? And I go, well, I want to be more successful. I want to help more people. And she goes, you know, if you want to be successful and make more money, you don't need to do that. I go, it is not about the money. Like very, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's not about the money. And she goes, when you turn 30 that's going to change. You'll realize how important money is. Because I I don't know if you remember, Brian, like in your 20s, remember how money was like, you know, for some reason, you just didn't think you really needed it. I was making lots of money in cash. And I was traveling and having super fun. And I didn't have any kids. So I didn't really like I had enough money. I didn't pay attention to it. But she liked, future paced me. And on my 30th birthday, she sent me this video about trading time for money and how to create leverage and residual. And it was like, it was like she lit my head on fire. And I literally sold my personal training business, dropped out of the PhD program I was in at USC. And I moved to Florida and I moved in with her. And I was like, okay, teach me. Teach me this. Turns out she'd been in it. She was in a multi-level marketing company. She was a Hawaiian blue diamond in a multi-level marketing company. Um, And she'd grown up in a trailer park. So this was all self-made. But I'll tell you what, I lived with her for six months. And the lessons she taught me in those six months, which had nothing to do with like how to build a multi-level marketing company and everything to do with the mindset you need to have to be successful, not just in business, but successful in life, they are the things that i've used all the way through on a on a daily basis to be able to navigate all of the storms and fires and all the stuff that you have in business and in life and it's really she's the person I really credit to to my success and everything that i do that's awesome
0: um, yeah it it's funny that you said that my that's my background um, you know for the last twenty seven years and I've always said that, you know, we're developing and building our community right now. Um, the whole focus, I think, about that industry, it's, it's yes, it gives people a platform or a vehicle to generate income, but more importantly, it gives them the good companies that have done it right. Mm-hmm. It gives them a platform to level up their learning and to be able to grow. And uh, it's just like you said, from a personal development standpoint, a mindset standpoint, awareness and um, I'll never forget. There's a company called A.L. Williams. I don't know if you're familiar or have ever heard of a company called A.L. Williams. Yeah. Um, Art Williams is a football coach from Cairo, Georgia. And, uh, he was one of my mentors cause I got his cassette tapes one time when I was like in my early cassette tapes. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, but, uh, you know, he's someone that, uh, that I, I've always said, I ran into people later on in life and I went through all of his cassette tapes and I learned and I grew and it made me want to stack BBs when I left. And uh, I I was able to meet some people that had been in his company. And they said, look, I never made a dime in A.L. Williams, which is now called Primerica. It was an insurance. Mm -hmm. So he really brought term life insurance. Um, He really exposed it as an industry and as a product that we know today. And um, they said, but I'm become a millionaire because of the lessons and the training and the mindset that I
1: have. Yes. You know, this is so important. I had a mentor tell me once. she goes, um, building your own business is the biggest personal development journey you'll ever go on. And every time, every step along the way, if you get stuck, it's not a strategy problem, it's a mindset problem, right? So, you know, I, what I loved about my time in multi-level, and I think that, I think if everybody, when they graduated from school had to do like two years in network marketing, And be able to survive from that, we would have so much more successful people because the skills you really need to develop there, the mindset tools are lifelong.
0: Right. Yeah, no, for sure. And and, I mean, and today there's so many, um, I think it's a great opportunity for people to take those and apply them in a vehicle. Um, You know, and I I know that you have a lot of uh, different projects you've worked on, you've been a part of, Uh, you know, I love the term freaky eaters. (laughs) <laughs> uh, and so I'm curious, like, where did Freaky Eaters come from? Share with us a little bit about your experience as the co-host of that show and and uh, what that was all about. Did you ever
1: watch it? I've never watched it. I need to, though. Because you're not really the demographic. Because the, the, it's still, I don't know how this happens. Every time I do an Instagram live, I get these Freaky Eaters fans. And they're usually like 15 to 25-year-olds, right? And I still remember when my kids, I was, my kids were teenagers when that show was on and I was like the baddest mom in the neighborhood because I was the host of Freaky Eaters. So that one happened. I'd been on Dr. Phil for a couple of years and then I got a primetime pilot and the casting agent from that primetime pilot casted me, called me about Freaky Eaters. And I remember hearing about the show and I'm like, and I was like, really, really, are you kidding? And, but, but I, I'd been like, I'd gotten off Dr. Phil to do this pilot. And then I, that pilot hadn't gone. So I was like, forget it. You know, I'm just not gonna This is silly. And then that came up and I was like, well, okay. So I went in for the audition and got the show. And the, it was a very interesting premise. It's sort of like my strange addiction meets hoarders. And it is these people who, are absolutely addicted to a specific food. They're hooked on it. It's all they'll eat, and it gets in the way of their whole life, their friends, their family, their finances, everything. They will eat this food to to the detriment of everything. Like we had one um, guy who was hooked on maple syrup. He put it on his burgers, his spaghetti, his cereal, like anything you can imagine. Another gal who was hooked on tartar sauce, she would coat tartar sauce on every food she had. One gal who would eat only French fries. That's the only food she would ever eat no matter what. Um, and as we started doing these, I mean, you can imagine the applications that we got to be on this show. It was like crazy. Um but it was a really fun show to do because I got to, I had a great co-host, Dr. Mike Dow, a psychotherapist, and so I approached. He approached it from like it's your mother, you know. She, you know, it's like some deep emotional issue, and I came much more from like what were your genetics, what are your taste buds like, what happened over here, and uh, and so we had fun doing it together. And the producers were would set up these crazy situations, like the. Um, when we had the maple syrup dude. And and the funny part about the maple syrup dude is I can't even be around maple syrup. I hate the smell of maple syrup. When I was young, I went to a, a restaurant and I got food poisoning at the restaurant. And I remember the smell of maple syrup at the restaurant. So I have this, like, if I'm around maple syrup, it makes me want to throw up. Well, I had to be in the scene with him Where there were vats and vats and vats of maple syrup, and he basically had to, he was having to dump the maple syrup out. Well, the maple syrup's running everywhere. It's on my feet, like it's everywhere. I'm like, you know, (laughs) it was like, but he was not gonna quit this maple syrup. So we took him to a dialysis. Lab and showed him what it's like to to have to have dialysis because of being diabetic, and that turned him around. So we would do crazy shock therapies with them, all sorts of stuff. Like we, uh, anyway, it was really um, it was really entertaining and fun. Except that the contract I'd signed, and kind of one of my life lessons there was uh, make sure that you have a really good inner. attorney in that industry, like my attorney at the time was not an entertainment industry guy. So uh, the contract was basically, they could make me go anywhere all over the country and stayed there. And they didn't have to fly me back for weeks on end. So I'd get stuck, I got stuck in um, right at the Kentucky, Ohio border, (laughs) had a residence in for and I was like, I need to get out of here, please. (laughs) So I was kind of like, please cancel the show.
0: <laughs> oh, wow. So they sent you everywhere to, to do the show then?
1: Oh, my gosh. Well, it was wherever this freaky eater was. So we ended up in, you know, I remember being in Reading, Pennsylvania in the winter, and we had someone who had had gastric bypass, and so she had this very small stomach pouch, but she was addicted to ice cream bars, and because her stomach could only hold so much she would eat ice cream bars one ice cream bar an hour all day and all night she'd wake up at night she'd eat the ice cream bars and so uh, I don't know why they thought this was a great idea but we had to basically have her march through the snow picking up ice cream sticks but we had to march through the snow too and of course I was like I didn't I'm I'm from California I don't have snow gear you know (laughs) I'm freezing you know
0: (laughs) Wow, I bet that was. But I mean, listen, that you—I'm sure you grew a ton, have a different perspective, and a lot of different models of the world. Because
1: oh well, here's what's great about doing like I—you know—they talk about your ten thousand hours, and between doing two years on Dr. Phil, doing Freaky Eaters, and then doing a lot of like did a bunch of stuff for Food Network. When you do all that stuff, you learn how to set up sets really quickly. How to set you know, there's very specific ways. They call them reality shows, but it's really sort of unreality because everything is is set up to really facilitate this being interesting. Now, it's more fun when it goes completely sideways. That's when we love it. But um, it really helps you learn how to set up like great video. So it's gotten a lot easier, like really easy to do video stuff after doing all of that. Um, so there's a lot of great learnings from it. It was right. super fun.
0: That's awesome. So, and then tell me about, which I love the, I love the uh, name of the book, which I can tell you right now that a lot of people listening to this, they're going to go pick it up just off the name alone before they ever know anything, but warrior mom. Um, and I love the name warrior uh, seven secrets to bold, brave resilience um, so what inspired that book? what is uh the inspiration behind it what it's what's it about?
1: Yes, and for anyone who's writing a book, here's an interesting fact. You can publish a book with one name and you can republish it with a new name because I love that name too. Um, I think that any warrior mom or warrior, or dad the minute they hear that they get it. And it didn't publish with that name at first. I was actually doing an interview with Dr. Mark Hyman, and they said, "We had to have you do this interview because you're such a warrior mom." and I'm like, "Oh my gosh, there's the title." Um, so when I was publishing the virgin diet, um my son i my sons were fifteen and sixteen. I was the sole financial support of them, and the Virgin diet I'd gotten this great advance from, and I knew. You know, I'd done all this stuff. I'd done Doctor Phil. I had my the TLC show. I'd been doing a lot of TV, a lot of speaking, but I was just kind of like I wasn't breaking through. And uh, this book, I knew could do it. Like it just the message was strong. It was a great, solid program. And so I went all in. I took the entire advance that the publisher gave me, and I put it into marketing to do a public television show, to do a big book launch. I borrowed money to set it all up. You know, it, was just, it wasn't enough to just do to, to just do the book, um, the advance. I added more. So I was all in. Like I'd burned the bridges, burned the boats. I had to make this work. And a month before this happens, my son was out crossing the street and got hit by a car and left for dead in the street and literally left for dead. He was airlifted to the local hospital and when we got there, they told us that we needed to let him go, to let him die. And um, my, you know, they said the injury he had, uh, torn aorta, was one of the injuries, and they said it was going to rupture sometime in the next 24 hours if it wasn't repaired. But the challenge was he also had multiple brain bleeds and was in a deep coma. And the surgery that he needed was super specialized and he would have to be airlifted to another hospital. And they said, you know, he'll never survive the airlift to another hospital. And even if he were to survive that airlift, he's not going to survive that surgery. And even if he were to survive that surgery, he'd be so brain damaged, it wouldn't be worth it. Now, any parent, like when I tell this in a room where I can see people and I'm like, are there parents here? Because, you know, the minute you say that, the parents like, "Ooh, sucking the breath. And, and I remember hearing this doctor say this. And, you know, I mean, he'd been a trauma doc for a long time, but he was a trauma doc in Palm Springs. And in Palm Springs, if an 85 year old comes in and they have 13 fractures, they're in a deep coma and they've got a torn aorta, it's a very different situation than a 16 year old. And mainly he saw 85 year olds. And my 15 year old son's looking at the doctor and said, well, sounds like maybe a 0.25% chance he'd make it because in our family, you just look for that possibility. You know, you don't look at what isn't going to happen. And so he said, yeah, that's about right, son. And Bryce said, well, we'll take those odds. So we overruled the doctor and we had him airlifted to Harbor UCLA and I drove through the night to get there and got there. And it was an entirely different situation. Five surgical teams. It was like, game on, we got this. Don't worry, he'll be fine. <laughs> and he was fine. They fixed his aorta, um, but he was in a deep coma. And he had 13 fractures, had to rod both of his femurs. He had a crushed heel that at one point, they're like, we don't know if he'll ever walk again. I'm like, you know what? You know, At the time, I'm like, pretend this is Kobe Bryant here in this bed and treat him like you would treat him because he's an athlete, he's going to walk. And so he came out of the coma. And I can tell you that coming out of a coma is not like what they show you on the movies. It's not what I thought it would be, which is wake up, hi, mom, I love you. It was months and months and actually years of really difficult situations where when you have that level of a traumatic brain injury, first of all, he had to, Learn everything all over again. I mean it took him um, over a month to even talk. He had to learn how to talk, how to eat, how to go to the bathroom, how to brush his teeth, every single thing all over again, who he was, his name, everything and um, then he went through all of the when you have a traumatic brain injury, your brain is super unstable, so he would go into deep depression su- suicidal um, rage and this took years, but I made a commitment that first night in the hospital, I was holding his hand and I said, Grant, you're a warrior. Name means warrior. And you're going to be 110%. And I can bring in all the troops and everything we need to get there, but you have to fight. You have to fight. And so that was just my mantra this whole time through was, you're going to be 110%. And the challenging thing was, I realized that Grant needs to be 110%, and in order for Grant to be 110%, uh, this book has to, like the Virgin Diet coming out, has to kill it, and I need to be here, and I need to make this book go, and how the heck am I going to do that? And and what I decided to do was to, number one, make sure that I had my self-care absolutely dialed. I walked into this situation super healthy, but I made sure I stayed there because you can't go into an ICU if you're sick, And you can't show up um, and make life and death decisions and and all of this if you're not on your game. So I was getting my sleep. I was exercising. I was eating right. I was taking loads of supplements. And I basically launched a New York Times bestseller bedside with my son in a coma. Um, And that gave me the financial means to do everything I needed to do that I can now tell you it took seven years, but my son is better than before the accident. What is he now? He is 24. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah.
0: So, so tell me like experiencing something like that. Like, you know, I have a six year old, a seven year old and a 13 year old. And so, and I'm a helicopter dad. I've, I've, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine last night and I was like, I get like so anxious over the little, littlest things because my six and seven year old boys are wild. And mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, well, they're, like,
1: supposed to- to be, they're boys.
0: Yeah. And I was like, mm-hmm. but what they do, I did ten times crazier, right? So, like, what, like, you know, and who cares if they scrape, scrape, or, or twist their ankle? But I, I guess my curiosity would be to to go through that. Um, you know, what did you focus on? What were some of the things that uh, were able to to get you through it? Because obviously, that's a, a probably m- more traumatic, uh, one might say, on uh, the parent than maybe even the oh, child. Yeah,
1: I I would have traded places with him. I still would. Any, Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> and by the way, he's not my crazy son. I have my son who's the tricker and he was a free runner. He would like do stunts off buildings, you know, who's torn his tibia, like he's broken. I mean, yeah. No, Grant was always the cautious one. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> um, so you just never know. So that, that mentor that I had when I was 30, who, you know, I thought I was going in to get trained on how to have a successful business. And she trained me on how to be successful at life. One of the first things that she taught me was to um, to get rid of the limiting beliefs, you know, that the only limitation is the limitation in your mind. And so she made me wear these rubber bands around my wrist. And every time I had a limiting belief, I was supposed to snap the rubber band and say, cancel, cancel. And by the way, like you do this and you realize all the crazy self-talk of, of limiting beliefs that can be out there. So she really helped me see things so differently that by the time that this thing happened with Grant, it was how I raised my kids. I mean, just for Bryce at 15 to look at a doctor and say yeah we'll take those odds for you know we're going to overrule you and to just only see the 0.25% and literally say well that's not zero right we just the kids were raised to think that way like grant's never thought of himself as a victim he you know we always say grant one car zero, and the car hit him going 40 miles an hour. Like, uh, you know, it, it, it just it, nothing makes sense when you really look at at how this how this went down. But the reason that he is alive today is purely mindset. And when I wrote the book Warrior Mom, and I was talking about these lessons, because people kept saying, how the heck did you do that? How did you do that? And I'd forgotten about my mentor at 30 and the lessons that she taught me because they were just in me. They were no longer something I never was like every day going, oh, thank you, Kay, because I just, it, it was became who I was. And that's what saved Grant. And this is what's important. When you look at it, when you look at the people who, who are really successful, and Elizabeth Gilbert says it great, and it's the quote I put in that book, is like, you know, the people who are my superheroes are not the people who had it easy. They're the people who, like, got knocked down. They get back up. They've gone through the crap. Those people are my superheroes. Um, when you look at the most successful people, they just got better at handling the tough stuff. My mentor at 30 said, don't wish it was easier. Make yourself better. And so I just have been fortunate. I've gone through a lot of stuff.
0: Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, and it's, but that that's the stuff is what makes up the melody of our lives. I've always said that. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, what's interesting and uh, we talk a lot about that and I hope people hear the message loud and clear is that, um, you know, it's about how we're wired. It's about how we're programmed. And, and, um, and then, you know, once you program yourself that way, it becomes unconscious competence, right? Yeah. Like, um you know it so well that it, you're you're just reacting right it's it's repetition and and um and you know i know that uh for many that have heard of you and and for those that haven't uh you also do a podcast
1: i do it's just changed so um it was it was interesting we were doing these interviews and then we were doing me solo and then i was doing this little friday q and a and the Friday Q&A was the most popular. So we just, uh, it was my project during lockdown is to do all of these. And we just launched Ask the Health Expert with JJ Virgin. And it's all the questions. So all it is, is these little daily quickies, where I, you take a listener question, and then I put the answer there. And uh, it's been super fun and really easy to do. So
0: that's very and so the questions about business about fitness about nope. health about all nope. of it or
1: it's it's been a very interesting straddle because i've really kept these two kind of the intersection between my two um businesses has been mindset but i've had a consumer brand which is all the health stuff and then i have my business brand which is really geared towards people in the health space called mindshare where we get Healthcare professionals together and really help them go from practitioner to thought leader, and so there that one I have the mindcast. That's the MindShare mindcast. That's a separate podcast, but they're two separate two separate ones. And the twains don't meet really. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, what would you um, what would you recommend for anyone? Because uh, it's mostly entrepreneurs, obviously people that are pursuing better that are mm-hmm. tuning in. So, what's kind of one or or two tips, or if you want to call hacks that you would give them, uh, to perform at an optimal level. I mean, I've already heard you give some incredible nuggets, uh, for instance, you know, expect stuff that's going to happen to you, but that stuff is going to be the, the highlights, right? It's what you're willing to go through to get where you want to go. But what are some, uh, things that you would share with them to perform at a optimal level every single day?
1: I love that book. Go the F to sleep. (laughs) Sleep is a weapon, right? Sleep is a weapon. Like, like I'm wearing my aura ring, and um, man, like, you know, if there's one thing that you have to have to perform at the highest level, like, like I'm going to say there's two things, and one is sleep. Like, you can't pull it off without great sleep. So, sleep. So, prioritize sleep, because I think people just don't, right? They just you know, they steal from sleep and don't do that. Um, and track it and really figure out what you need to do to optimize your sleep. I wear my, um, my blue blocking little red glasses at night. I do a little, um, Epsom salts bath every night. I try to do a sauna, then an Epsom salts bath. That's my, and then majorly turn down the temperature. So get all your stuff in so you can really set yourself up for that amazing sleep. Um, But the biggest thing of all, and this is what's so awesome like you look at it and go, sleep is free. So, you know, everyone can sleep well. Of course, the better your mattresses and stuff, the better you're going to sleep. But um, sleep is one. And the other one that's a total choice, which you talked about, is, you know, we are what we think about. And all of the work that you can do, and it has to be on a consistent, regular basis, will make all the difference. Um, one of the first things that Kay taught me to do was to carefully manage my environment, what I listened to, who I was around, um, what I read. And it's been challenging over the last couple months. I've never been someone who's watched the news or paid attention to things. And I really pay attention to social media. And last couple of months, I've been like little, like got sucked straight into the news, which I'd never been paying attention to before. And, you know, but it's kind of like, okay, well, can I go to that state right now? Or is that state closed? So be really, because I started to notice it was taking its toll on me, really be careful of the people you hang out with, right? One of the things that one of my um, one of my mentors in business said is, you may find that your friends are changing. And, you know, sometimes you have to change friends because sometimes your friends are like the crabs trying to hold you down from crawling out of the crab pot, right? (laughs) So, you know, it's uh, so super important to really work. And it's an ongoing forever process to continue to exercise that mindset. It is a muscle. Look at Carol Dweck's work. You can either have that fixed mindset where you're you're a victim and life happens to you or, it can be life happening for you and through you and you've got growth mindset and you realize how much of, of, of your, really your success is, is a mental game. And it's, it's not about a money thing. No one's ever given me, like I've worked and gotten everything I've ever gotten. I've never had investments of Like it's been all me, you know? Right. So you can, and it's all from my mindset.
0: Well, that's all. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, and, and, six. Su- Success without fulfillment is failure, and I don't think you ever get fulfillment with something given to you. Uh, my dad used to always say that uh, anything of value uh, is going to take effort and investment or sacrifice, either way you want to mm-hmm. look at it. And um, and so, yeah, I think that's beautiful. I, I'm I'm a huge believer in power of peer group and the the power of environments. I'm glad that you said that. I think that um, you know you can you know you can't choose your your family but um love your family choose your peer group choose your friends wisely i have a friend that just told me 2 days ago he said uh you know there's a situation i was going through and he said this is just a great reminder that be very very careful and mindful of the counsel that you have personally and in business, right? The counsel that you seek because they all have influence on your brain, on your mindset, on the way the, the, the lenses that you view or the the filter that you're viewing any given situation. And, um, and it's all situation, right? It's, it's all situational. And uh, you know, we, we might not be able to control the situations that come up in our life, but we can always uh, we can always uh, control uh how we respond to it, you know, not, not react, but respond. So, uh, well, I appreciate you spending time with us. Hopefully you'll, you'll come back and we'll be able to get maybe more into some depth on fitness and exercise and how it affects body and stress. And, um, maybe go, go into more details about uh, some of your, your work. I know uh, for me, this was a great opportunity to just introduce you to our community um, and have them check you out. Uh, if you don't mind, share with them uh, your podcast and how they can tune in and your Instagram channel. And uh, definitely check out the book, Warrior Mom. I think it's a, a must. Um, but but let them know how they can uh, connect with
1: you. Thank you. Well, probably the easiest is to go to JJVirgin.com. That's where podcasts, Facebook, Instagram, all that is. And then on the business side, it's Mindshare.
0: Mindshare what? I'm sorry.
1: Mindsharecollaborative.com.
0: Awesome. So uh, check out JJ Virgin. We definitely appreciate your time. Uh, it was a lot of fun and uh, be safe on your travels back to paradise, California.